You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. Are you ready to get down with some D and D? I know I am. And I am joined as I am always joined by the majestic, marvelous, and Machiavellian Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I feel weird, Chris, because I feel like people are watching us. It's strange. We're sitting in the same room too. We usually do this over the internet, and, and I have clothes on. I guess that's is, also which, strange. Which is different. Um, my name is Chris Nizak. This is Sean Merwin. We are both podcasters. We are D and D freelancers. Sean's been doing it a lot longer than me. We are both game designers, game publishers. We do all that stuff in the industry, and. Um, it's actually both of our full-time jobs. At this point, yes. At this point, yes. So, I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. Hey, Chris, do you know what the difference is between a game designer and a large pizza? Uh, you actually, uh, a large pizza actually is worth $10? A large family can feed a family of four. Oh, a pizza can feed a family of four. I get it. That's, that's a terrible joke. It is. It's awful. So we're, it's, it's our life. That is, that is kind of our life. Thank you so much for coming. Once again, I'm sorry that you had to pay for this. Um, I'm not sorry for the content that you'll get because we're going to talk about the business of D&D. So lead us through what we're talking about today. All right. So we're not going to talk about like Wizards of the Coast numbers because we don't know those. That's we're going to talk about the business as we uh, see it, as we go through it. So uh, I, we just want to talk about D&D because... It's something that's become much more interesting since 5e was released. True facts. Because back in the day, there was no business of D&D outside of TSR, which is of the coast. Unless you had a lot of money to license a novel or a video game, you were not making any money off D&D. Yeah, until the OGL. But we'll get to that. Yeah, third edition. Um, so it's something that Chris and I are both interested in. It's both something, uh, it's something we both do uh, for a living. It's something we're affected by. Man, I'll tell you, studying contracts sucks. Yes. All right. <laughs> Uh, and it's something that our listeners have asked us to talk about more. Mm-hmm. So we decided if we're going to do a, a panel, let's uh, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about the various types of businesses that have sprung up around D&D. We're going to talk about publishing. We're going to talk about streaming. We're going to talk about podcasting. And we'll talk a little about licensing. Uh, we've done some of that with our, our publishing company. Yeah. Um, and like I said, we're not going to talk about specific numbers except for what we personally know. So yeah. if you came here to learn like the secrets of Hasbro, uh, that might be in a different... <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about... I mean, if you have questions about it, we'll talk a little bit about like the ins and outs of like publishing and things like that and some of the stuff about... Especially podcasting, I can talk a lot to. I have a, I have a podcast network that I've been running for seven years. It's got 12 shows. I know all the hosts. They're, all my, they're not just friends or people I've recruited. Like I'm very meticulous about how I pick podcasts with my... Uh, my my uh, business partner. So that's a, it's really important to us to make sure that our network is curated in a certain way. Um, and so we'll talk about streaming too, because it's something we've gotten into, or at least I've gotten into in the last couple of years. And uh, monetizing it has been really difficult. And we'll talk about the struggles and the mistakes that I've made there and the things that I need to change to be better, which is coming in the very near future. And I don't make any mistakes, so I can't talk about that's that. That's true, Mike, you know. <laughs> and one other thing, if while we're talking, if you have any questions or if you have some insight that we lack... Like, uh, we have some people in the audience here who also do some publishing. And so if you have any insight, or any of you, uh, step up and, and shout out and let us know. Yeah, and then we'll yell into the microphones what you said. But you will be on a podcast that will be being released. So just, you know, keep the swearing to a minimum. Yeah, on Tuesday, actually. So <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the history of publishing, because you are so good about giving us history lessons. I try, because uh, I'm old. So for, for OD&D, for first edition and for second edition... There really wasn't a venue for 
third-party publishers to to piggyback on the success of D&D. You had like Judges Guild, which was a very old-school uh, outfit that w- was able to make some products, but it wasn't like they became Microsoft or Apple or anything <laughs> based on that. Uh, so as you go down through the editions, uh, you get limited places where you as a person, not a company, but as a person, could could get into the D&D business. One was Dragon Magazine. One was Dungeon Magazine. Uh, one was Polyhedron Magazine. But again, these were publishing outfits where, if you've heard the phrase slush pile, um, it's where you mail in, mail, you know, you put a stamp on something. That, that's what I'm talking about. And you mail it in, and six months later, if you're lucky, maybe you'll hear back from the 10,000 manuscripts they got that yours maybe will be put into this one issue because it just happens to be the Halloween issue and what you submitted had ghosts in it. I mean, that's literally what you were dealing with back then. So it was a very rough industry to get into because the venues that you could were very constricted. Um, Do you want to talk about the OGL? Oh, man. So... I love and hate the OGL. So the OGL is the open game license, and now everybody can take this rules set by stripping out the IP stuff and publish anything they want with the rules and a certain subset of text and ideas inside of it. And then you get the uh, the D20 boom. So you get all those crazy games that came out in that period. And for anybody who remembers, man, you walk into a game store and 90% of the game store was D20 stuff. Now... There's a lot of bad D20 stuff out there. Just tons of terrible design. Also, that game wasn't always super easy to design for because, you know, feats needed to be balanced and all that good stuff. Anyways, um, it was a way for people to publish stuff. And if you could do a good, good work and you could make quality product and you had, you know, a decent budget for art and things like that and you had some way to market all that stuff, then you could make some money. Uh, you really could. In fact, Piazzo is the prime example of how that worked. I mean, you could just look at Piazzo. They have a company now. They make Pathfinder. Like they're making a second edition. That is all based on the fact that they used to be the Dragon and yeah, uh, I mean, Dungeon they, they licensed publishers. Yeah, Dragon yep. uh, and Dungeon. So they got that license uh-huh. and that exposure. Plus, if Wizards laid someone off, there was a net for them at yep. Piazzo to just step in and and be. But the the whole thing oh, about Chris, this, Chris Perkins used to work for them. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, there you go. And so the the third edition. OGL allowed you to publish, but you needed to be a company, basically. You yes. needed to, from soup to nuts, be able to take an idea and publish it with all those steps in between. Yeah, and then you get into things like distribution and warehousing and where do I print my books mm-hmm. and how do I go to a printer and talk to them even about that and do I go to China and do I have a translator in China and we'll get to that <laughs> later and why it's way easier now. Yep. So with fourth edition... They kind of learned, Wizards kind of learned their lesson, I think, where they had too much of a good thing with the OGL. They cut it back to what they call the GSL, the Game System License, which barely anyone touched because it was too restrictive on, on that end. So it kind of dried up the industry. People continued to publish under the third edition OGL, uh-huh. uh, but with fourth edition, there, you didn't get a lot of third-party products. Um, it wasn't viable for companies to do it. It wasn't great for wizards to, to expand the game, and the game didn't take off like they had hoped. So uh, fourth edition was kind of a, a little dead zone in terms of D&D for third parties. Yes. And now here we are with fifth edition. And fifth edition has... Um, the DMs Guild, which is a wonderful place to publish things using the Forgotten Realms IP, which is insane. The fact that they let us 
use that IP in any way that we want sort of on in their platform, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. I just it's also super smart. Right. Because now everybody that's publishing there kind of knows about the Forgotten Realms. Like it's very useful as a marketing tool and they make some amount of money off of that. Uh not tons, but like it's a decent chunk of change from what I've heard. It's more than I think they thought they were going to. Yes. Uh, I I can tell you that if you put something up on the DM skill, uh, you will get 50% of the revenue that you sell. Uh, 30% of that goes to o- o- uh, one book show yep. who hosts it, and 20% goes to Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are making some, which they weren't off the OGL, Correct. third edition. They got nothing for that. Now they're making a little bit of money, which behooves them to promote it. Mm-hmm. And you, as a publisher, don't need to be a publisher in the sense of a publishing company. You can... Use their template. You can write things down. You can submit it and see where it goes. Now, in a little bit of the sense, you're back to the slush pile problem because if everyone is putting something in, how does you how do you get yours to stand out? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. And if you have any ideas, tell me, but don't tell anyone else. Yeah, right. Like, please, please keep that to yourself and to us. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, there's also the open game license, which you can use to publish kind of whatever you want again, which is really cool. So it gives us things like. Uh, Esper Genesis. Genesis. That's a that's a really cool sci-fi game. Um, it gives us uh, things like uh, what's the uh, some the uh, not not the tarot one the um the one that Matt Mercer put out right the uh, source book for that the, the Tal Durai. yeah Tal campaign setting like it lets people do stuff like that. And Let, I mean, let's actually step back and, and show the difference. So with the open gaming license, you can still make fifth edition D and D stuff. You can't use any of the intellectual property, so no Forgotten Realms, no. Uh, well, you can use Ravenloft for DMs. Yes, you but can. Not for, so it's but you can't be use your own setting. But you can't. Yeah, you can. You can't use Mind Flayers. You can't use Beholders. Right. Anything like, that's their IP. their IRIP. Yeah. But they don't get a cut of that. They don't get that twenty percent. Uh, one bookshelf. If you go through one bookshelf, you still have to pay the thirty percent to that. But otherwise, you can publish in any way you want. You don't have to do it digitally. You can create your own books. You can do uh, anything. So they've reintroduced that open gaming license in a more limited way, but it's there. And then give you the DM skill if you need that intellectual property to get you, bring your ideas to life. Who here has published something on the DM Guild? That it? All right, cool. Who here wants to publish stuff in the DM's Guild? All right, cool. So there's a word template that you can just download and fill in, and it's pretty much publishable on the DMs Guild. I'm not saying that is the best way to do it, but that is a way that you can do it. Then you can have content out there in the world for people to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you will make your pennies. Yep. Yeah. Literally penny. Like, uh, there is ways to make more than pennies, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, they provide you with art assets that you can just go and download. They're just free. Just search for them on the DMs Guild. It's pretty nice. There's decent stuff in there, too. I have it all in a folder somewhere on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's any other art that's not you know, attributed that you can just have in the public domain, you can use it. And mm-hmm. try to, but what you need to be able to do then is lay out things, which mm-hmm. I have no idea how to do. So let's talk about layout for a second. I do a lot of the layout for our company. Um, not, not all of it. I'm not the best layout guy. I'm not the best graphic designer. But I can get around on it because I've been playing around with InDesign for you know, seven years. That's seven years of effort and learning and teaching myself how to do that stuff. I also have friends who have degrees in graphic design who I can go to and ask for help. And there's tons of tutorials online. InDesign is the good stuff. There's a free version out there called Scribus, which is what I learned on for a couple of years before I upgraded, that is uh, powerful and decent. It's not as good as InDesign. Um, that is the cheap way in if you want to learn that stuff. Uh, there's also Photoshop, which is the other... So InDesign and Photoshop are Adobe Creative Cloud products. You can 
rent them for you know twenty bucks a month or something like that. Like I haven't looked. I use CS6, which I still have. So it's CS6 is the one that comes before Creative Cloud. Um, they're wonderful programs. You have to learn how to use them, though. They're they're kind of high end techie type stuff. They're not super complicated anymore because of all the tutorials. If you want the free version of that, it's called GIMP. G I M P. It's very good. I learned on that. Um, it gave me a good basis for my Photoshop work. Oh, that'll give you prettier layouts. And then you can learn how to use, you know, manipulate images and whatnot. That still does not give you art. Like, stock art is, there's lots of stock art that's pretty good, actually, especially on um, the DMs Guild. And not just the DMs Guild, on um, uh, DriveThruRPG. I've gotten tons of it from there to use in products that are the high quality stuff that is way cheaper than it should be. Like these people are not getting paid what they deserve to be being no. paid. That's just the, the way this industry kind of works. How many people here are good at layout or would consider yourself? Oh, look at that. She knows what's up. All right. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. So you're not hired because <laughs> that's probably what you do for your day job. I imagine. Right. No, no, no you're just expensive. expensive. Um, <laughs> Oh, oh. We, we, we got one of those too. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's rough. Way to you just gotta keep hurting those cats all over the place. I know, man. So many cats. Uh, let's talk about where to publish. Okay. I mean, we sort of talked about that. We talked about the DMs Guild. We talked about drive through. Yeah. Um, printing books. So printing books is a lot easier than it used to be. The best place um, for small publishing runs, which is what we often end up doing, because unless you're printing like a thousand or more books, you don't want to actually hire a printer. That's just kind of how it works. Uh, Ingram Spark will do print-on-demand. And not only will they do print-on-demand, uh, there's this thing about fulfillment. If you ever do a Kickstarter or anything like that and you want to ship your books to people, I mean, you can do it yourself. It's a lot of work. Learn about media mail and things like that. But Ingram Spark has spreadsheet printing via Lightning Source where you can take your list of people with their addresses, give it to them, and they will individually print, package, and ship all those books to those people. So that is a very easy way to fulfill. It is not is going to kill your profit margin. You will not make as much money, but you will not be packaging books for days and days and days and weeks. So that's a thing to think about. Um, you can do an offset print run. If you can do an offset print run, more power to you, man. That's that's where we and women and folks out there. That's where we want to get to with our uh, with the books that we make. We want to get to the point where we're making 1500 to 2000 books we can do these offset print runs and then i will be happy to sit in my house and package up and go to the post office and ship books all day because i'll be making a lot more money because mm-hmm. so it's it's really a like time versus effort thing like for 500 books i don't want to do that for 2000 books i'm more than happy to do it because i'm gonna make a lot more money because i don't really like doing that stuff but i like getting paid and that's the whole point of this right like that's what i've heard yeah right uh for making the for having the fun part which is the making things so let's talk for a minute about putting things up, say, on the DMs Guild. Um, anybody can do it. They have a template. It's pretty easy. But it's not an if-you-build-it-they-will-come situation. Um, we found out that there are uh, different avenues that you can go where you will sell better than other avenues. It's true. Uh, but even if you have a slight reputation in, in the industry... Uh, it's still not going to be you know, millions of dollars being thrown your way. When, when they created the DMs Guild, they contacted a few content developers and said, we want to stock the place when we open, so would you work on something? So Chris and I and the company that we have, uh, have in Coded Designs uh-huh. put up an adventure called Five Temples of the Earth Mother. Life and Moon. 
volume one, Life and Moon. There's no volume two. And so it was yet. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, yeah, yet. But you're gonna hear why in a second. Yeah. So we put it up. It was one of the first things up. It sold okay. It sold like 250 units. That's not too terrible for a role playing game product. Yeah. It didn't make us a lot of money. No. And even the, what we made, we had to split with everyone in our company. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we split that stuff seven ways. So, so, but yeah, it was fun. It, we did it. We figured out as a company how to do it. Mm-hmm. It went well. But for all that we put into it, you know, was it worth the 250 sales? It wasn't. It, it, the, uh, the, 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 the amount of money that we made off of it per hour of effort that we put into it was low. It was like $7 an hour. Yep. So, I mean, it's actually grown up since then because we've had it in bundles and sales and things like that. So right. it's, it's trickle sailed after that mm-hmm. and it's better now, but it's still not what I would call a decent paying job. Right. And, and this is a, a good looking product, nice color cover, nice art. Yeah. We spent, we spent, um, a hundred dollars on the cover. Yeah. Um, when we, you know, we have, we have a really good graphics design person mm-hmm. that, that helped with the cover art and all that good stuff in the temp and. Well, we did layout and word for that one, so we had to turn around real quick. Right. But we put stock art in it. The cost was you know, not not a lot of money. I think we spent seven dollars in the stock art. Yeah, and so you know that was that was a product that was the first thing up, uh-huh. and it sold that. Now, go on the other hand, um, the Adventurers League is the organized play program for Wizards. Um, I wrote the first adventure that they put out for Fifth Edition. That's going to pass four thousand sales. It might have already. It was very close. Um, so that – and that's for – if you put up something, uh, pay what you want or free, you'll get 10,000 downloads. It's cool. It's cool, but at the end of the day, what can you buy with 10,000 downloads? Uh, Even pay what you want is a bad model. Um, yeah. Fred Hicks is uh, the guy who owns Evil Hat. Uh, he's done a ton of posts on the model between pay what you want, giving it away for free, and selling it. Pay what you want is always a bad idea unless it's something that you were going to give away for free because then at least you're getting a few bucks off of it here and there. So if you're going to give it away for free, you might as well just make it pay what you want so that there are people that like you will just give you a few bucks because they like you. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. I'm trying to think where we're going next. Uh, I think we're going to talk about... Well, we're talking about if you build it, they will come, right? right. The, the good news, though, is that D&D is growing in a way that we've never seen before. And I'm talking back to 1974. Um, Not just with people playing the game, but people consuming the game in different ways. And so there is a hope that you will be able to, with your effort, instead of reaching an audience of 100,000, reach an audience of 2 million or 5 million or 10 million as the game grows. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Wizards has never been able to go out to their licensees or people that might be interested and say, oh, and by the way, here are the de- here's the demographic and here are the numbers now that we are talking to. It's not just, you know, white dudes in their basement anymore. It's, it's a broad range of people. Yeah, and which is they, amazingly and good. And not only is it a broad range of people, but they have very different interests than in the past, uh-huh. that demographic. So... It's becoming more likely that if you do buy a license to use Wizards, not that anyone here is going to plunk down a million dollars to do that, but uh, a good example is if you watch the Stream of Many Eyes, um, which just announced the new season that's coming, they had Beetle and Grimm's little packets of props. So by little, this is a box of props that costs $450. Yes. It has all... 
Well, there you go. Now it's five hundred dollars. Five hundred bucks. This box has every map, a bunch of minis in it, all sorts of handouts for the players. It's very um, crafted for if you're going to run this campaign, it'll be awesome. It'll make you feel like you have all this cool stuff from Waterdeep. Yep. And I don't know anything about the interaction between that company and Wizards, but I have a feeling that Wizards would not just let them do that for free. So th- there's got to be some sort of financial <laughs> interaction between them. And they must believe that they're going to sell enough of these to make it worth it. Well, I've already run into two people who told me they bought it since I got here, which was surprising. I'm like, I don't know who's going to buy this thing. I'm like, I was wrong. Okay. Even for third edition, I don't see a company making a lot of money doing that. For fifth edition, with the way, you know, a certain segment of society's dispendable income now allows them to do that, uh, that's a market that... Who knows what's going to happen? The report is that there are between 12 and 15 million people playing D&D right now in the world. That's, that's a big number. That's, that's way bigger than it's been in a long time. Right, and that's playing. Yeah. That's not necessarily just watching streams or crafting or doing uh-huh. other parts of, of the hobby. Um, so the point of this is like there's a bigger D&D piece out there, but you need to know how to market in order to even reach that. And that's oh, – let's talk about marketing. So marketing – Making a thing is cool. You're going to spend as much time making as much. You should be spending as much time marketing the thing that you made as you did making the thing. It's really important. How you go about marketing that thing is. I'd like to say it's to personal preference, but it's really not. You should be on social media. You should have a Facebook account. You should have a Twitter account. You should go to wherever the audience is too. Um, with D and D, you should be streaming. You really should be streaming something. Um, I mean, he's, he's actually telling that to me. Not, I'm a little not bit to, not to you. <laughs> We should be streaming something. It's, it's sort of my fault, too. Anyways, podcasting is sort of a dying art form, and it's so easy now that everybody's doing it. So, like, we get caught in the middle of the, the muck, too. I mean, we have a decent audience. There's, like, two or 3,000 people listening to us. Are you saying us. this is your grandfather's podcast? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm saying. <laughs> um, you should be streaming. That's, like, a thing now. And if you get lucky and Wizards notices you and they're like, be a part of our, one of our projects, then you're going to get a huge, a huge bump in audience. So part of it is being consistent. So if you're going to stream, you've got to do it every week. If you're going to be on social media on Twitter, you should have a social media calendar saying like, all right, the first Monday, the second Monday, the third Monday, the fourth Monday, I'm going to release content that is like this about my stuff. And like you can build your calendar any way you want that is relevant to your products. But like you do not want to just be randomly tweeting out there. You want to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Consistency will build an audience you want to find influencers after that and st- like follow them on twitter follow them wherever and when they say interesting things interact with them that is also hugely important because that will get you followers and people who notice you like sean started tweeting from the encoded account um about D stuff and we got like 100 followers one day or something like that it was like 50 followers it was a lot like because it was people who are in like Teos Abadai, who's got like 10,000 followers or something stupid like that or like mike shea Close. but sly flourish and and my family i have a large family you do have a large family <laughs> They like to gamble, I hear. That's true. That's why he's so good with the numbers. He likes to play <laughs> poker. Um, so that is – like marketing's a thing. Like it is a job. That's why companies have marketing departments. We're a bunch of game designers. We've been learning this stuff for like four years, and we're still not super good at it because it's not like our skill set, right? Like I like getting on a mic and entertaining people. I can release a podcast every week. In fact, I have been doing it for like seven years. Um, that's my consistency. That's what I can sort of bring to the table aside from my creativity, my writing, and the other things that I do for the company. Uh, but, like, you only have limited time, too, so it's good to have a team of people that can help you. 
the people that do this stuff on their own, especially in the OSR community, I'm like, you people are crazy. I couldn't imagine doing the writing, the editing, the like buying the art, like like organizing, doing the project management because like we have project boards too. So, uh, by the way, Trello is wonderful free project management software. It will help you keep stuff organized greatly. If you're working with a team and you want to have a virtual office, get Slack. You can use Discord also. I like Slack. Um, and Google Drive is amazing for organizing information and working on projects together. So if you have multiple people working on it, they can all work on the document at the same time, which gets away from the whole like, oh, we have this Word document that we'll share to Dropbox that somebody can basically check out, edit, put back in with a new version number. And when somebody screws up the version number, then we don't know what the heck we're doing or who's working on what where. Google Drive solves that problem. It's quite amazing. If, if you're familiar with the Guild Adept program, um, Wizards chose a few creators to kind of spearhead different initiatives as a, as a new book comes out to put secondary products out. Now, anyone can do this. The Guild Adepts get it a little bit ahead of time, so we get a chance to see it. But we're doing the exact same thing. We are collaborating. We are saying we don't have time in our lives to do all of this, but you check, you take this part, you take this part, you do the editing, you do the layout, and we're good. Um, everybody who raised your hand and said you wanted to put something on DMs Guild, we'll, we'll, we'll stop early. Get together and talk to each other. Because you have a community right now that you could say, what, what are you working on? Maybe I could help you. Maybe you could help me. Maybe you know layout. Maybe I know editing. We could get together. And putting out a project with two people, you are splitting the cost. But you're also doubling your influence. You're doubling who you know uh, by doing that. And it's, it's, it's a great way to start. You can also learn something from other people. Or you learn something by teaching other people. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a good resource to have each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's time. I mean, it's marketing's a thing. Like we'll just keep talking about marketing blogs are old these days, but if you can find ones that, that have lots of subscribers, getting a guest post on there is useful. Finding somebody who'll review your stuff on them is useful. Uh, for D and D Merrick Blackman, if you can get him to review your stuff and review it well, unlike my last AL adventure, which was terrible. Um, <laughs> That that was a, I gotta fix it. There's no bad publicity. Right? There's no yeah they, they know there's totally bad publicity. Um, those are the those are the kind of people you want to be looking at your stuff and talking about your stuff. Um, anybody know Dragon Plus magazine at the online magazine? I've started a column there where I review uh, stuff from the DMs Guild, and what I try to do is just grab something at random, read it over, see if it's see if there are lessons that we we can learn from it, and just put it out there. Um, I've only, I'm only two columns in, but you know the third one's written, and the fourth one, and they're going to focus on whatever Wizards is focusing on at the time. So you know we're going to be going into Waterdeep now, so we'll look at city stuff. Um, if it ever goes to a different plane, we'll look at planar uh, stuff from the guild. So you know I try to spread the gospel of you know the DMs Guild by by doing that in Dragon Plus. Um, let's. So marketing, marketing is about content too. Whatever content you have, in, better be good. Player content seems to tell, sell better than than adventures and and dungeon master content. That's just because there's more players, right? There's more players than, than game masters, dungeon masters. Um, the consistency thing there works also, especially if you're going to do adventure stuff. If any, does anybody here know who MT Black is? No. Okay, MT Black writes adventures. What he does is he writes these 6,000-word adventures, and actually he got so to the point where he's making enough money at it where he was contracting other people out to write these 6,000-word adventures, contracting people out to do the covers, and um, putting them up on the DMs Guild pretty frequently, like once a month or, or whatnot, and then he would collect them. 
So he'd make money off the releasing them. Then he would make money off of the collections, which were then pretty cheap for all the content that you were getting. That is a way to make money at this if you're good at it. But he has pretty covers. He does pretty layout. Mm -hmm. Like he has a layout person. It's very nice looking. Um, And the content is play tested. Mm -hmm. And it's of a high quality, in my opinion. Like, Absolutely. I think his stuff is great. Uh, he's now finally a, uh, an AL adept. A guild adept. A guild yeah. adept, thank yeah. you. Um, that is one way to do this. There's, a, there's, there's like three or four people out there in the DMs guild that are really making money at this thing. He's one of them doing it that way. Mm-hmm. That is a model that you can follow, but it requires consistency and dedication and a plate, all that stuff that just lined up. And if you have a project manager, you should be friends with her. Um, she probably costs a lot of project managing too. Uh, <laughs> They can help you organize that stuff because, you know, it's 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 that's it's not a small amount of work. It's funny how like game game design brain is slightly different than project manager brain. It they they sometimes fight with each they, other. They do sometimes fight with yeah. each other because you've done project management too. I did. My full time job was a project manager. Yeah. And now it's not. Yeah. So I mean, it's a very different life, I imagine. And that's why I don't want to do any sort of project manager. I want <laughs> very yes. I believe if there was a chart, it would look exactly like that. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, I mentioned influencers. It's, uh, that's a thing that to find. And like I said, you're going to spend as much time. I can't stress this enough. You'll spend as much time promoting your stuff as you do making your stuff. It's just the way it goes. Uh, if you want to, to be successful, mm-hmm. I, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you want to stop for any questions? Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, we should stop for questions. Does anybody have any questions right now? Halfway through. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. I cheated. So the question uh, to repeat for the people that listen to this on the internet uh, is how do we reach out to influencers to connect with them and make them think that the projects they were working on are worth talking about? Uh, I had a podcast and all I started, and I had an audience. So I started reaching out to people who had projects of their own that I wanted to be friends with and interviewed them. So I had, so it did two things for me for those people who out there want to go that way, which by the way, there's multiple ways to do that. Start a blog, do the interview thing, do the review thing. You can get noticed by people. Um, it, you're giving them something useful for them to get to know you. And that is that creates a connection. So then eventually you can go to them and ask them for work if you want to freelance or do things like that or want them to talk about your stuff. In fact, once you have a relationship with them, it's really easy to get them to talk about your stuff. You just like – you just – basically tweet out your thing or whatever and, be, and tag a bunch of people and be like, check this thing out. And then people will just start retweeting it because that's called having a, um, a relationship. You have a relationship with them then. Uh, go to a convention, uh, go to a panel and listen to what they have to say. Hi, Ms. Game Designer. I really enjoyed your work. If you ever need playtesters, here's, here's my information. Um, if you ever need something like that, here's my information. Um, I, I do game design too. I tried this, and you don't be you don't have to be pushy about it. But you know, it, it's it's the whole sharing thing again. Even game designers who have names need playtesters. They need ideas. They need stuff. And so you know, that's for the Adventures League. I oversee writing of certain adventures, and that's how I find people. It's it's oh I, yeah, I DM at conventions. Come play one of my games. Oh, you run a good game. I wonder if you write a good game. You know, send me a sample. Oh, look, the sample's great. Um, 
and we've had whole shows on just how to do that you know in the industry get you know, move from step to step to step until you are where you want to be mm-hmm. but you have to be able to do in terms of D&D you have to be able to do it all you know if you want to write for D&D you better be able to DM D&D um, you better be able to play D&D fairly well know the rules um, you know I've told the story tons of times where back in the day before the Adventurers League we had Living Greyhawk and I oversaw the New York region for Living Greyhawk. So I would have people emailing me all the time saying, I want to write an adventure. I want to write an adventure. And I'll say, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, where do you play? Oh, I don't play. <laughs> oh, you, you, where do you DM? No, I don't DM. I don't play. Well, if you don't DM and you don't play, then you have no idea what I need for my adventure. Um, and even if you do play, there, there are different... An Adventures League adventure is very different than a hardback adventure. is very different than a home game a, adventure, a home game adventure, or a six thousand word adventure. Yeah. on the DMs Guild. There, are, there's formatting. There's expectation of play that you need yeah. to know uh, because you know you, you could be the greatest writer ever, and if you send me for an Adventures League adventure, you know, twenty thousand words that no Adventures League player would ever even be able to understand, much less get done in a two or four hour game, then it's not it's good writing but it's not what i need at the time Mm -hmm. um back to the influencers thing the other thing is like join their communities talk to them about their games and their projects so they get to know who you are like this is all effort like this is being friends with these people is about building relationships with these people that's how you get on influencers radars like i don't know like i'm pretty good friends with james and dracasso like he's a pretty decent name these days and there are certain people that like it doesn't matter if they know you because they can't really do much for you like Mike Merles knows who I am. Like, I've played games with him, just hung out with him before at, at cons. But, like, there's nothing Mike's going to do for me, really. He might, he might tweet something out for me at some point, maybe, if I ever really ask. But I've never really had a reason to ask him for that, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, and, like, he's also super busy. So I'm not going to bother Mike. Like, right. no big deal. Um, like, I don't know Chris Perkins or Jeremy Crawford, but, you know. The scariest day of my life was when I was running a game at a convention, and I was getting flipping through my notes, and I look up at Chris Perkins and sitting at my table as a player. <laughs> I wasn't nervous. I wasn't nervous at all. Uh, but it's also finding out who those influencers are too. Like, mm-hmm. like we're friends with Mike uh, with Mike Shea, Sly Flourish, and he's pretty like he's got lots of people that knows that that follow him. So if he retweets something of ours, like a lot of people are going to see it. Like that's good for us. Um, like I'm friends with Ken Height. Like he's a friend of mine. Like if I want to do something that is sort of on that gothicy, horror-y, whatever kind of like string of whatever uh, I can go and ask him to like help me out for a second and he will so I mean like it's all about building relationships over time but like my relationship with Ken Hyde is because he had him I had a, I run a convention in Buffalo um, I had him as a special guest and I showed him around town for four days right like like we're f- and that that be you know that became we became friends after that like we now talk and hang out at conventions wherever we're at at times like I could walk up to him and say hi what's up Ken and we'll have a drink yeah and one thing is be a good person that that too like that helps yeah you know, and you don't have to overdo don't, it. Just don't don't be leave yourself, with yeah. Don't, don't. don't leave with asking for something. Leave with how are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is X. Right. I love your work. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me about it? People love to tell you about their work. Holy Lord, do they love to tell you about their work? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Treat people right. like people because they're they're all people. They're yeah, you know, and we think of this industry as you know, it's the big D and D Wizards of the Coast. It's a small industry. It is. It's a tiny industry compared to movies and TV and and you know, even like the National Hockey League is 
much, much bigger, and, and they don't even know how to run a league, and, and they're much, much bigger. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm sorry if they're a Canadian. Uh, Here, check this. The, this whole industry is really incestuous, too. So, like, and by incestuous, I mean, like, we all work for each other, even though we all own our own companies. So, like, the guy that, that is the, the, our, our project manager and sort of, like, the lead person, I guess, at our company, his name is Phil Vecchione, he works as the project manager for Third Eye Games, which is a loyal Santos company, and Aloy off, often freelances for people like uh, like uh, uh, Code Monkey Publishing when they were doing the, van- or the, the people that do Vampire these days or the World of Darkness stuff like he wrote for changelings so like path, yeah. yeah and um one step further like Aloy just came out with a game called part-time gods uh part-time gods second edition which is very similar to this game called scion which Aloy reached out to the guy who owns scion and said why don't you work on my game i'll work on your game so they're not the same game and they're like yeah that's a good idea but that's like what other industry does that no other industry does that that's just how the gaming the gamosphere works we all know each other we all like each other and if you're ever a jerk to any of us like everybody knows about it so then, if you get a bad reputation, it's hard to get rid of it. Also, if you have a good reputation, everybody knows about it and will want to work with you. So it's just the other extra reason to be nice to everybody. Yeah, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. Good Anybody else have a question, either general or specific? Or do you, Jeff? Would you like to add anything, Jeff? Uh, writes for the DMs Guild as well. He's got some. He's had some best-selling. Uh, he's very good products up there. He's very impressive. Um, is is there any any uh, advice that you have? Uh, as far as the influencers, though, the other thing you do for marketing is uh, paid advertising. Yes. Um, through uh, Down with D and D, they've advertised some of my stuff through paid advertisement, and um, Tabletop Babble has as well. Yeah, yeah. Smaller, yeah, we're we're smaller pretty cheap blogs, podcasts that talk about your. Yeah. yeah, a lot of this stuff is grassroots for sure. There's. Yeah, Sean's really great to work with. No, no. It's a, it's a lie. lie. If you don't mind being actually criticized legitimately, Sean is great to work with. Yes. I, I, don't, I can't I follow that. I think I'm the worst person ever, according to what you just said. If you like being criticized, work with Sean. Is that what you said? He read lines really well, and you feel better afterwards because you're like, oh, I'm going to be better after this. Uh, my training is creative writing. Yeah. So. Uh, I went through workshops. If you've ever been in any creative capacity, you you know you workshop your your art, your story, whatever. You turn it in, people read it. And you have to sit there and take their criticism, and you can't talk. And they say, "Oh, this character doesn't believe a bull doll," and and you just sit there and get pounded on. Uh, it, yeah, well, yep. it also crushes my my <laughs> hopes and dreams. But yeah. yeah, that too. It also weeds out the chaff or well, like no, shifts the but, chaff. Or? You know, and but you you learn to. See things and say things that are honest but supportive. Correct. You know, it's creative, uh, constructive criticism. Yes. Pure and simple. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We got ten minutes left. Who? Uh, anybody want anything? 
question wise? I mean, I'll talk about streaming and podcasting for a second if people want to hear that. All right. So streaming, uh, this is new for me still, but Twitch is king. If you're not streaming on Twitch, I don't know what you're doing. Like, that's where you should be at. It's not super hard to figure it out. There's a couple of um, programs out there that you can utilize to get into Twitch, which is OBS. It's open broadcast software. And uh, XSplit is another good one. I don't use that one. I use OBS, so I can speak more to OBS. It's not hard to use, especially if you have any kind of graphic design skills. You can make stuff. Um it's the same deal as all the other stuff we talked about, consistency, marketing, things like that. If you want to make some money off that, one, you have to have a, a large enough audience. Two, you can start a Patreon. Well, I run Patreons often. I have like four of them, not for me, but for the different shows in the network. Um, Patreon is a little tricky. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, you can also do a Kickstarter for like seasons if you're running seasons of things, if that's how your programming works. That is another great way to do it. Um, streaming requires having a decent camera. Uh, there are some cheap web cameras that you can use that are decent. Um, that's what we use for our streams. They're okay. I would like to upgrade, but I don't have $250 to spend on that right now. Um, then they're also a little harder to set up. I have to actually do a little research on that. Uh, but they're like, they look like cameras. They're, they're these really nice cameras that, that, uh, that do very good video these days that are really good for streaming that are not a very big buy. $250 is not a lot of money to get into streaming. Um, the audio for that, like... I've been playing around with lavalier mics these days. That is a, that is a thing that I'm trying to get better at because that's what I want to use. But really I use, so this is an SM58. This is going to get technical right now. For those people who are listening, I'm pointing at, at a microphone. Um, these, these microphones, they cost about $90. They're XLRs. I have it attached to a Zoom H4 right now, which is really good if you're going to do a two-person podcast. This is actually probably one of the best setups that, that you can put together. I, uh, I have a 16-channel a, a mixer at home that I use for um, our uh, our the misdirected mark podcast because we have three hosts and i have a soundboard attached to it and sometimes we pipe in guests and i use my phone and attach that to it so i can bring in callers from outside um that's the pot i'm I'm much better at the audio side than the video side uh if you're going to do a thing where you don't want to have microphones on screen shotgun mics are where you want to go and do not spend 20 bucks on a shotgun mic spend like 100 150 that'll give you a much nicer sound there i'm not super clear on all the models because it's not a thing that i've really done a ton of research on but that's what you want shotgun because you can keep it off screen pointed at somebody and that's how you get their sound and you want a couple of them at that point and if you're really worried about lighting and things like that look into lights there's some actually pretty cheap intro light sets out there actually i just found out this thing called um wish it's an app that you can get it direct ships from china but i found these mics these sm58s for like 30 bucks it's insane right like and there's like lighting kits that has like got the green screen and the light setup for like 100 bucks i'm like wow that's like a 300 dollars setup so i know where i'm going to be doing my shopping in the future um it's a really nice uh, it's a really nice app you can like pin stuff like pinterest it's cute uh i like it anyway um your Patreon or your Kickstarter, you really need to understand what you're selling, and you need to make sure you can deliver on it. And like, I screwed up my Patreons a couple of times. Um, I have to redo them, in fact. So, like, you're going to have a couple different levels, and like, you got to figure out what are you giving away for free, if anything, and what are you giving to people who are on your Patreon? Like, our podcast, we give our podcasts away for free. We have extra audio content for two of our shows that are behind a paywall, but it's super low. If you pay a buck a month, you get the four extra episodes from each show every month. Like, it still doesn't cost a lot to get that stuff, and we appreciate it. Um, we have another level up where we start giving away our show notes and some other things. And then we have a $10 level where we get ridiculous, where we, like, we give you titles, on our Patreon. Like we have like, we have like a Royal court. Cause like one of our, the other person that owns it, we call her the queen. She's queen Sunday. It's hilarious. Um, and we give them from our company encoded designs, all the PDFs and things that we make. 
So, like, if you're in the $10 Patreon uh, level, like, we're giving you games, pretty much, whenever they come out. They don't come out all the time, but when we're done with one, they get it first. Also, when it comes to playtesting things or playing games with us, we're asking them first. So that's basically direct access. That's what we sell. Right, and a Slack channel. And we have a Slack channel. If you're at the $4 or higher, you get into the Slack channel, so you can just talk to us. We, have, we call it the Slack Room for Life because we, we, it gives us all of life and gives us spoons and things like that. And if nobody knows what spoon theory is, go look that up and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, this stuff is all... Um, it's all about what you want to sell. Like, we're podcast-wise, we're selling our personalities. We're also selling information. But I'm, I'm here... You know, I love being on a microphone, being entertaining. Like, that's... And I, Sean... I'm terrified. Terrified? You're terrified? No. We do a lot of two-person podcasts. It's like one of our shticks. Like, we have a bunch of shows that are just that because we want to be informative and entertaining at the same time. So that's what we look for in our hosts. Uh, That is the podcasting side. That is the Patreon model that you have to figure out what you're going to sell and how you're going to deliver on it. There are also these weird things where you have these goal levels. Those are even harder to figure out. Like, we start giving away slightly more content as we hit certain goal levels of money so because like well we're making more money we can put a little more effort over here that is the idea behind it um anybody have any questions about that the expended deliveries for patreon that is the question what are they uh it patreon charge so you can do per release via patreon or you can do per month we do per month because we're just like we're gonna make these shows on a weekly basis and we're going to give them to you in the, in the ether. And the other stuff is kind of related to those shows anyway. So you're going to get this stuff as long as our shows keep releasing, if it's behind the paywall. So that is, that's how we do it. I've, seen it. I've seen a lot of comic creators do it per, per release. And you can charge like 25 cents or 50 cents per release. Um, there was a big snafu with Patreon not too long ago where they're like, we're going to charge an extra upcharge every time we charge somebody, which crushed all the people who were doing like 25 to 50 cent releases because everybody who was doing 25 to 50 cent releases, their patrons were getting charged 85 cents every time. So if there was like 12 releases in a month, it was like an extra like $7 a month that they were getting charged that Patreon was taking. They backed off of that real fast. Really? Really, really fast. Because it was a stupid model and they lost a ton of money. But, um... Well, they lost a ton of money and so did a lot. A lot of people lost people a ton of money. doing, you know, Patreons. People were like, I'm out. And yeah. Like, what, wait, we... Uh, luckily, like, luckily, people people were very kind to us and we only lost like two people. Mm-hmm. And they came back real quick. Right. It was nice. I was, I was very appreciative. I, I said a lot of nice things to our patrons after that. I mean, I also like... It's a thing about running a Patreon. It's a very personal thing in my opinion. Like... Mm-hmm. You're giving for us. It's giving access. Like I am here at this con, in particular, to hang out with people in the community, run games for them, have fun with them, whatever they want. I am on pretty much the entire five days of the show for them. That's why I'm here, because this is my job. <laughs> uh, and I love them all anyway. They're great people. I, I like I like interacting with them on a consistent basis. So there's that. Uh, anything else? Because if there's no more questions, it's 148, and I want to give you all folks time to get there. Anybody have any feedback for us? Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this. I have stickers for people that want them, too. Um, regardless, thank you so much for coming. This has been uh, the business of D&D. I hope you got something out of it and how this all works. It's a very low-profit uh, low industry. <laughs> you do it because you love it, not because it's going to pay you well or you're going to make a million dollars. And that is the last thing I have to say. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. You done with D&D? Yeah, you done. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me.
I'm down with DMD. Yeah, you know, We're down with DMD. <laughs>